I remembered something I'd once read. That a representative owes the people not only his industry, but his judgment. And he betrays them if he sacrifices it to their opinion. That was written by Edmund Burke, a member of the British Parliament. But everybody everywhere is ordained with natural rights. Everyone everywhere is created in the image of God with natural rights, and government is just our shared project to secure those rights. Government is not the author or the source of any of our rights. The government that governs least governs best. And maybe we can do all this stuff with more freedom. The one question I want to ask on every issue is, is there a way to do this with more freedom? The answer is sometimes no to that question. We should at least ask that question. to be self-evident. All men are created equal and endowed by their creator certain inalienable, unchangeable rights. If this isn't a reason why we broke away from the United Kingdom, I don't know what is. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life, I have a right to live and no king can take that away. It's my God-given right. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. My fellow citizens of the world, ask not what America will do for you, but what together we can do for the freedom of man. This is FritzCast. Friday, September 7th. 2018 guys welcome to this week's edition of the fritz cast opening with our special periodic opening of inspirational quotation marks and uplifting music and all that jazz because uh i feel rather discouraged in the past week uh and that's interesting because what monday was labor day right so we started off with a holiday and then it went downhill from there (laughs) believe it or not there's there's a host of things that we got to talk about, and rather than give you, rather than give you the introduction breakdown of like you know, hey, these are some of the topics we're gonna cover. Uh, we're just gonna kind of meander through the conversation today and see where things go with it. Uh, but but very highly discouraged this week, politically speaking. Um, and and hopefully I can get into detail as to why, um, and shine some light on that. You know, probably a factor in that was uh, September. The beginning of September is always kind of hard for me to deal with. At least it used to be. It used to be really hard to deal with. And as the years go on, things get you know, it, things become different. I guess you could say. Uh, September fifth, for example, just just a couple of days ago, was uh, was the uh, marking of my sister's 32nd birthday. Uh, I'm 29. My sister would have been turning 32 this past week. And in fact, this March, uh, this March 29th coming up, will mark 20 years uh, since her passing. She passed uh, passed away at uh, age 12 of cancer. 
Um, very difficult thing that happened for for myself and and my family. But if I had to pick like hardest time in my life, hardest struggle in my life, a uh, pivotal changing moment in my life, uh, it would have to be the time that she had cancer. Uh, and it was a, it was a few short months of having cancer. I believe she was diagnosed in late October or November of um, 1998 and then passed in March 1999. Uh, didn't even make it to April. Uh, very, very touchy subject. Uh, but, you know, I did, I this past week uh, on her birthday, I did what I had to do. I'm not one that really go to the cemeteries much and, and you know, do that that sort of thing, but I do periodically go uh, to the cemetery to, you know, pay my respects uh, at, at times that, you know, I think are prudent, times where I think I really need it, and this past week was one of those times where I just felt like, you know, I mean, her birthday is usually a time I go uh, and pay respects. And I did, and it, it it was, you know, it's, the thing to me is that it's been 20 years, and at the time that it happened, I was nine years old, so obviously, pivotal impact in my life and in my childhood, and I know that, I can go back and look at it, I knew it at the time, I think at the time, my maturity was ahead of my years, um, at that time, and even then I knew how impactful it was. But but like I said, things are changing as as I grow up. Things are changing as I continue moving forward. Uh, because this year, more than anything, I was like I, I thought to myself, you know, it's been it's been a long time. It's probably time that I stop looking at how negative a day that was in my life or how negative a time that was in my life and all the negativity aspects of it and start looking at the fact that you know you know my sister this girl still has an impact on me today 20 years later 20 years gone still has an impact on me still moves me and motivates me and and so now I started focusing more on on the good times before before the cancer came, before life got messed up, started focusing more on the good times, more on how positive this girl was, how energetic, how full of life she was. And it's really helped change dynamics and perspective. Um, and, And that's just... But that's an ongoing, continual, evolving thing. And if you were... If you follow me on Twitter, you saw... The post that I did, you know, I have this, you know, angel beanie baby, which the story behind it, um, if you saw the picture, I put it up with all my Funko Pops. Everybody knows I love my Funko Pops. Um, that this bear and this booklet are more important than any of the Funko Pops that I have to the right of me right now, which, uh, you know, one day might be a hundred little stupid bobbleheady plastic things because I am a giant nerd. And that's fine. That's fine. It's whatever. But 
this this stuffed Beanie Baby Bear and uh, this Sting action figure from yeah from wrestling back in the '90s. She loved Sting, and it was her action figure. Still have that. Um, they're more important to me than than the Funko Pops. They're more important to me than anything in this office, and I've got quite a bit of stuff in this office. And the reason why the, the the angel beanie baby bears are significant because we had two of them that we placed with her on the day of her funeral, and we sent her off with them. And every everybody in the family has an angel bear beanie baby, um, with a beautiful poem that my mom wrote. I have the booklet from her memorial service in there, and the Sting action figure always, you know, guards over it. Uh, because that's Stang's job, to be a guardian. Duh. Get with it. So, hopefully, I mean, yeah, that was probably emotional and sappy for some people out there. I mean, that's just, that's a big defining moment in, in my childhood and my life. And still, clearly, to this day, plays a role and plays an impact. Um, in just who I am, the character of me, and, and some of the things that I deal with, and some of the things that I even struggle with. So that might have been part of what made this week a little off center balance for me and whatnot. But, uh, you know, one of the tweets I put out earlier this week that I want to read, and this is, this is legitimate. This is something that I think about consistently. All right. Uh, I put this out on the fourth. So that was like, that was either Monday or Tuesday. I want to say Tuesday. Yep, it was Tuesday. <laughs> I put out this tweet. Quote, There are times when I seriously consider that I would run for office either as a libertarian or some other platform of limited government and maximized individual liberty. Then I read Twitter and I think, man, I would be doomed. And that's that's a fact. I actually, there there are many times, even now, where you know, I sit down and I'm thinking like, I would would I run for office? Would I run for political office? I talk about politics once a week on this program. Sometimes more because I put out a YouTube video which we're going to play the little clip that I did up on YouTube, but I encourage you to go to the YouTube page for Fritzcast so we can get the views and we can get the likes and we can get the discussion fueled from it, but I'll still play it on the program here. Uh, because I'm integrating videos and I'm integrating other things throughout the week so that it's not all just slam dunked into this podcast at the end of the week because there's there's way too much going on. There's way too much to talk about sometimes. Sometimes there's nothing to talk about because nothing is going on. But this past week, so much shit happened, man. So much shit happened that... You know, I take to YouTube and I do little video interjections of things because... Otherwise, I might forget about it. <laughs> I might forget about how everybody's acting over something. But there, there, there is a lot of times. I like. I'm seriously contemplating running for some kind of political office or whatever because I talk about politics all the time. I talk about what I want to see the government doing. I talk about you know the, the community, individual communities needing needing to band together and build up and do things. Not so much with the government, but doing things without the government. Uh, one of my fundamental belief, believing principles is that people can script the government to do things for them because it's easier. 
everybody's like, oh, you know, let's just have the government do it so that we don't have to worry about it. Think about, like, living in a neighborhood. I mean, some neighborhoods you have HOA fees. You have, like, homeowners association fees and whatnot. And there there might be rules and regulations to the neighborhood in which you live because everybody that's moving in there wants some kind of standard to live by. Well, an HOA thing, you're paying money. You know, they pay some contracted company to come clean up the hedges, make the entryway sign look pretty, you know, or things like that. Or you have, like, contracted garbage services for your entire neighborhood. So instead of shopping around for, you know, three, four garbage companies and garbage trucks rolling through your neighborhood every other day, you have a contracted company and it's all the same. And everybody has the same looking trash cans and everybody's supposed to keep their lawns trimmed. And, you know, nobody's allowed to have ridiculous things on their lawn or whatever. You know, that's something. That's a community-level thing where everybody in that neighborhood is is agreeing to it by voluntarily moving and living in a place like that. However, I mean, it doesn't necessarily work that way. Because some of them are, you pick a house, you move in, you have HOA fees, and you're stuck. I mean, if you didn't research and look... You might be stuck with that. The neighborhood I live in doesn't have HOA fees. We don't have that. We have actually the entryway to our neighborhood is a sign that that calls us what our location is, and it looks you know it looks all right. It's got flowers and all that. Somebody somebody in this neighborhood keeps up on mowing the lawn over there and making sure it looks nice. They do that just because just out of the community sense. Somebody's doing that on their own time, paying for their own gas for for a lawnmower. And, and other equipment and all that, just because they want their neighborhood to look nice. That's something I, cha- I, I champion somebody who just takes the initiative to say, this is my neighborhood. I, you know, I might not like all my neighbors and all that, but I want us to look like we live in a nice place. So I clean up that little island thing in between the road signs to make this place look pretty. That's actually, like, some people might not think about it in this day, but that's actually doing some kind of a community service for your community. That's, that's sacrificing time and energy and effort. That's, that's something that should be championed. But most people probably don't even think about it anymore because it's 2018 and everybody's preoccupied in whatever else they're doing. That somebody can't take a half hour one day every other week to go mow a lawn so that it looks nice, so that the entryway to your neighborhood looks nice. And I don't even know who does it here. I just know that somebody does it because we don't pay HOA fees. There's no money flowing around to anybody here, but it gets done because somebody's doing it. That's just, but that's an example of, this is this is somebody in the community saying they're going to do something for us. I can't imagine what it'd be like. Like, and I'm sure there's neighborhood meetings that we have too. I've see, actually seen signs for neighborhood meetings at like the fire hall and all that. I can't ever go to one because I work, you know, midnights. I work four to midnight. I work evening shifts, so I can't go. If I was freed up, you know, some people were like, "Well, even if you were freed up, you wouldn't go because then you'd be like, well, that's my evening.'" Not, not true. All right, because Friday. Usually on Fridays, when Anthony Del Colo is doing his coffee businesses, uh, briefing for his constituency, I went to it. It was an hour on a Friday when I didn't have work, I didn't have anything. It was a weekend day. 
sacrifice an hour of my time to go listen to Anthony Del Colo and tell me what they're doing in the Delaware State Senate, what they're working on locally, what the community is focused on. Because people were there. You see other people. You hear their concerns. You hear what's going on. And you have that. You have a platform and an opportunity to talk about things that you think and and promoting your own ideas, which I think is important. But again, depending on where you are, it probably doesn't work out so hot. It all depends on the people that are there. Speaking of the people that are there, another discouraging thing that happened to me today was yesterday was Delaware's primaries for Senate, uh, for the United States Senate seat, for the Republican Party to pick a nominee for uh, the House of Representatives seat to challenge Lisa Blount Rochester. And, and a host of other local election things, uh, uh, like state legislature and state representation. It was the Delaware's primaries. It was random ass Thursday in September. Um, didn't make any sense to do it then, but it was that it was done then. And Delaware is such a legacy poli- politics state, and and if anything is proof of that, yesterday's primary results are the quintessential stamp to prove it. Why uh, progressive waves have been happening over the United States, and mind you, I don't agree with the progressive wave of politics. I do not subscribe to a lot of those beliefs. A lot of those beliefs scare me because I don't think people are paying attention to the world and paying attention to history or paying attention to the fact that once you overwhelm the government with demands of these things, that it cripples the government. But that's beside the point. Progressive waves have been occurring throughout the United States. All right? Carrie Evelyn Harris was running here against incumbent Senator Tom Carper for the Democratic side. Carrie Evelyn Harris who is 38, who is running on a platform of, you know, the, it's the same progressive talking points, $15 an hour minimum wage, uh, uh, health care for all, uh, among other things. She had Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez come and stump for her here in Delaware. Facing Tom Carper. Tom Carper's been in the Senate since 2001. Since 2001, Delaware has had Tom Carper as a senator since 2001. So here comes Carrie Evelyn Harris, very impassioned speaker. I don't agree with a lot of her talking points, especially on that more progressive spectrum. That doesn't mean I don't agree with every single word she said or disagree with every single word she said. But definitely don't agree with her on a lot more than I do agree with her on. But the other thing I definitely don't agree on is having a senator who's been in office since 2001. Way too long. Delaware deserves a change of some capacity. For that. 
But Delaware also did it to themselves. Now, she comes up. She runs a tough, rigid campaign. She she pulls no punches. She gets Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to stump for her in Delaware. Here's the results. Thomas Carper has 53,633 votes, 64.6% of the vote. And Carrie Harris mustered up not even 30,000. Not even 30,000 votes and 35%. You know, that's kind of discour- that's kind of discouraging right there. Delaware is such a legacy-based political state. Tom Carper won every single vote that he has from people who listened to what Joe Biden said. Joe Biden, Uncle Joe comes up back to Delaware and says, you know, uh, me and Carper, we, we worked hard together and Carper's a good guy. He's my friend. Vote for him. And everybody goes, oh, man, yeah, Joe Biden. Oh, yeah, we're supposed to love him. Okay, we'll vote for Carper. Like, that's what Delaware does. Delaware doesn't go outside the box. It doesn't pick... Grassroots efforts in Delaware don't work. They just don't work. And it's sad because there's lots of good ideas. There's lots of good, passionate people that'll get looked over because this state is such a buddy-buddy political legacy state. All you need is for Joe Biden to come out and pat you on the back and smile. And you don't even have to you don't even have to worry about anything. At all. What was even more discouraging is uh the Republican primary votes. Um mind you, look at these numbers, all right? Fifty thousand fifty three thousand, almost fifty four thousand come out to vote for Tom Carper. Almost 30,000 come for Kerry Harris, right? Those are big numbers. The Republican numbers. Mind you, that was a total of 83,000 votes for Delaware uh, for the Democratic campaign. Here's the total Republican primary votes. 37,869 votes. 37,000. Pathetic. Pathetic. It's almost just you might as well just bump up the Democratic numbers to eighty five thousand. Crazy. The the other discouraging thing is that Rob Arlett, the Republican primary candidate, um won the Republican primary. So it's gonna be Rob Arlett versus Tom Carper, which is at this point easy win for Carper. More than likely. Uh, safe Democrat seat. Rob Arlett gets 25,000 votes, 66% of the vote. And the guy that I wanted, Eugene Girono, got 10,000, you know, almost 11,000 votes and 28% of the vote. That's, just, I mean, it's just so discouraging. Rob Arlett got that because he was Donald Trump's campaign manager of Delaware. That's... That's Delaware politics, man. Uh, who who do these people know? What 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 lineup do they fall in? Do I know this person? I, I'm sure a bunch of the Democratic people who went and voted in the primary yesterday literally just voted Car- Carper on name recognition alone. Tom Carper. Oh yeah, that's right. He's our senator. I like him. Tom Carper. 
Or they went in, you know what, Rob Arlett's a MAGA guy. He's a Make America Great Again guy. Vote. It's really discouraging and pathetic, man. Really never been more discouraged in Delaware politics in my life than at this very moment. And I was actually, you know what, that's false. I was discouraged in 2016 because I think the only person I happily voted for was Anthony Del Colo. And so far, that's a vote that has been earned and is safely in his column for whatever he does here. Now, is that me being hypocritical, saying about all these legacy politics? I, I don't think so. I actively engaged with Anthony Del Colo. I voted for him because he was that fringe candidate, and he just happened to get enough. In fact, if if I went back and looked at Anthony Del Colo's numbers for that election, he was running against, um, God, I forget her name. I forget her name, but she had had her spot as the District 7 senator for Delaware for like 25 years. 25 years she had that seat. And Anthony Del Colo won by literally a few hundred votes. Like percentage points. That's how that's how much Anthony Del Colo won by. But that's it's just more of the same testament. Um grassroots efforts here in Delaware don't seem to pan out very well. Doesn't matter. If you're on the fringe in Delaware, if you're trying to build up a momentum and 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 some kind of momentum here you're it's an uphill battle on like four different fronts because chances are you're going up against a legacy candidate you're going up against a Tom Carper who's been in since 2001 and Joe Biden having been vice president of the United States for eight years has some clout and has friends that he's had for a really long time here that Joe Biden could come out and just say, vote for this person, and that person's guaranteed to win. That person wouldn't have to spend a campaign dollar because everybody in Delaware would just say, well, Joe Biden said to vote for this guy. That's a, And Joe Biden, he was vice president, and he was our senator for a really long time. That's Delaware. So discouraging. So discouraging. And that is why my tweet from a couple days ago is very eerie. Because running for some political office here, oh God, I'm out. I'm out. Nobody's going to support me. Not a chance. But some people say, think about the experience and the impact you can make. Yeah, you could. I could. I'm sure I could. But how could I, though? Really? How could I? Now, I'll give it to Carrie Harris. She gave a fiery concession speech for Carper, but mostly theatrics. Now, theatrics can be a big thing in politics, though, right? Theatrics can be very important in politics, because we've had the Kavanaugh hearings this this week. And the Kavanaugh hearings have been full of protesters being removed, people shouting and screaming, 
And, oh yeah, Cory Booker doing this. Cory Booker came out, and, and I'm sure at the, in the moments that it was happening, in the 15 minutes or so that he was on screen blabbering on about how he had these documents and that he was going to release them, even though he knew releasing them would threaten expulsion from the Senate, kind of falling on his sword. I'm going to do it because the American people deserve it. They deserve to have it. They, they need it. This needs to be declassified because this is classified material. I know, I'm, I know I'm willingly and knowingly violating the rules of the Senate to do this, and I realize that I am risking a lot for myself here in doing it because this is being rushed through. That's what he did. He even, he even, said, that, he even said that this is as close to an I am Spartacus moment that he's going to get. Cory Booker grandstanded, put the spotlight on himself during a Supreme Court of the United States nomination hearing to bolster his chances for a 2020 presidential run. Is what he did. Ben Sass on Cory Booker right now. Cory Booker, but it was a it was a terrible charade. It was a shameless stunt. Uh, so let's review facts. First of all, Democrats have been trying to claim for four straight days that all these Brett Kavanaugh papers haven't been released. Here's the actual fact: uh, five times the the amount of paper that's been released related to this nomination is far more than any Supreme Court nominee in U.S. history, and it's more than the last five nominees' papers combined. What hasn't happened is not every single paper of George W. Bush has been released because those papers are are not Brett Kavanaugh's and they're not work that Brett Kavanaugh did. He was a secretary who shuffled paper to and from President Bush. And so President Bush, in a magnanimous, generous way, volunteered to give even more paper than had anything to do with this process. He simply said, you need to review it so we know that there are not national security secrets or X, Y, or Z in it. And so what Senator Booker decided to do is pretend that there was some terrible smoking gun in these documents. And it turns out not only have the documents already been released and Booker and other Democratic senators and their staff knew the documents had been released. What the documents actually showed was that Brett Kavanaugh is against racial profiling. So the entire thing was bogus, and people knew they were bogus when they were doing it, and shows a terrible disrespect for the American voter in the long term because it undermines public trust. Not only that, but it's completely disingenuous when you say, I'm going to get expelled for this because I knowingly violated the rules when you didn't knowingly violate the rules. You grandstanded. You took your 15 minutes of fame, of spotlight, to try to make yourself look like a hero when you did nothing. You accomplished nothing. Not a shred of what you did was bravery. Not a shred or an ounce of what you did was significant. What you did was grandstand, waste time, and make it seem like what you were doing was significant when what you were really doing wasn't significant at all. I can't stand it, because if you go online right now, if you go to Facebook, if you go to Twitter, any platform, people are all, Cory Booker 2020, Cory Booker 2020, Cory Booker 2020, for what? For theatrics? For false theatrics? For disingenuous theatrics? Look, I understand that Donald Trump is president, and that he did a bunch of that false theatrics bullcrap thing. You're supposed to want to be better than that, not the same or matching the tactic. You can Cory Booker 2020 all you want. If that's what it's going to be, 
you got no steam. You got nothing. You know how he said bring it? Bring it because that's going to go nowhere fast for you. Mind you, perhaps Cory Booker deserves an Oscar or a Daytime Emmy for his wonderful performance of it. But considering that there was no threat and that it was all just a big charade. That's the other thing, too. People are like, well, it doesn't matter that the documents proved that Kavanaugh... They, the, the documents themselves and the information in the documents isn't the important thing here. The important thing here is the bravery of Cory Booker. There was no bravery. There was no bravery. If you're coming out and saying you're going to accept the consequences of which there are none because there is no threat of anything because it's declassified information, where's your steam? Where's the bravery? What did you sacrifice? Nothing. Nothing. You sacrificed nothing. Speaking of sacrifice... (laughs) Nike came out with an ad for Just Do It that says, believe in something, even if it means you sacrifice everything. Who did they pick as their golden puppet poster boy for that? Colin Kaepernick. Mr. Kneeler, football man himself. Oh, my God. They picked a kneeling man. People went out and started burning their Nike shoes and cutting the swoosh out of their socks and their shirts because... Nike's un-American. Nike. Nike picked the kneeler man. Oh my god, I'm so triggered. This is so sad. So sad. And I'm going to put the link into the description of this podcast. I'm going to link the YouTube video that I did on my initial thoughts of that. I encourage you to go click and check out the YouTube video so that we can get some uh, viewership on our YouTube page, start bolstering up some clips and things like that to, to grow the FritzCast network. So check out the FritzCast YouTube page for my initial thoughts and video on that. But but really, really, welcome to America where people will get more triggered and set their Nike shoes on fire and take knives to it to cut out swoosh logos because Nike picks a kneeler man to be a poster boy But we're not going to get mad at the fact that Nike products are made in sweatshops while people are making slave wages in other countries. Like, we're not going to get mad at the conditions in which people have to make this crap product that's so big and they endure... the, 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 The big money from Nike goes to freaking athletes and sports. They sponsor people. That's where their millions and billions of dollars go. To sponsoring athletes and having faces and having guaranteed sales and all that. And they make it, you know, over somewhere in some country that you can't even pronounce with people who make like 15 cents an hour in a sweatshop <laughs> for nothing. And you pay 90 100 $150 for a pair of shoes that actually only costs like 25 bucks to make. But you want to be more enraged about the kneeling man because he doesn't stand for our troops. He doesn't stand for our fallen troops or our flag. He takes a constitutional freedom that he has. 
You can like the, you, you can hate him for for doing it. You cannot like the act that he's doing. But this is America, and this goes back to what I was talking about last year, two years ago, when this controversy was in the thick. It's a big nothing burger controversy, but somehow it inflames people's emotions so heavily that it becomes a focal point. It inflames people so heavily. that, like, Right now in the NFL, if you're boycotting the NFL for kneeling football players, there's still football players doing it. It's always, it's always, always, always been less than like 10% of the football players. Always. And by the way, I mean, this just goes back to the same old things. A Green Beret suggested that Colin Kaepernick kneel, not sit during the anthem. A Green Beret said that to Colin Kaepernick. Somebody who served in the Army. Somebody who's in the Army Special Forces. But we want to bicker and bitch about it anyway. And it just won't die. It just won't die. I don't know if it'll ever die at this point. But this is America. This this goes back to the... What is America? Is it freedom and liberty and personal individualism? Is that what it is? Because if it is, then everybody listening to this right now agreeing with the statements that America is about liberty, that means that Colin Kaepernick can be a kneeler and you should not vehemently be on the internet dragging him in and out and demanding that he stand for the national anthem. If you don't believe that America, if you believe that we must stand for the national anthem, I must ask, do you believe that if somebody does not stand for the national anthem, that somebody should be standing behind them with a gun to their head until they do stand? Because those are the, the practical options here. You either let the man kneel, and you say, you can say that, you know, okay, you're a piece of shit for kneeling, but it's your right. Whatever happened to that? Whatever happened to the, well, I disagree with you, but I will, you know, well, sir, I do not agree with you at all. I, I vehemently disagree with you, but I will fight and die for the right for you to do it. Whatever happened to that? Whatever happened to the principle of freedom and liberty? What, whatever happened to that? And did it ever exist? Was was it ever really instilled here, or was it just a facade? Or was it just, at the time, enough people thought that and believed it, and now things are so conflated and, and, and jaded and everything that, that we just can't be there anymore? I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. But that, ladies and gentlemen, is a highlight of what has happened over the past weeks from this crazy-ass, millennial, libertarian-minded individual that in a nutshell that 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 that's the highlights that's just the highlights of what happened this past week that doesn't even really dive into the real thick things that have been going on during the Kavanaugh hearing just to, within the last day the Cory Booker fall on my sword disingenuous bullcrap and having to hear people say that Cory Booker should run a 2020 on that act alone when it was a a big scam 
that's my key takeaway of the Kavanaugh hearing. The fact that we've gone through four days of a circus of people yelling and screaming and hooting and hollering, and things are so conflated that if that if Brett Kavanaugh gets nominated to the Supreme Court, every LGBTQIA person, every gay person, every uh, every every same-sex marriage out there, every woman is going to die because he's going to, within one swing of the gavel, take back every single right of those individuals. That's where we're at. That's why I want to close out the program on Ben Sass's quote about what the Supreme Court really is for, and people seem to forget this. And when we talk about politici- politicization of the Supreme Court, we're not only talking about the justices themselves, we're talking about what people think the Supreme Court is supposed to do, what its actual function in the government is. I'm going to close on Ben Sass's quote on that in just a moment, but I want to thank you for listening to the FritzCast today. I love and appreciate every single one of you. I would like each and every single one of you to comment, throw your thoughts out, start the dialogue and discussion, whether it's on the SoundCloud page, the Twitter page, Facebook page, Minds.com page, you know, whatever it may be. Do it. Let's, just like Nike, just do it, all right? Believe in something, even if it means... Clicking share the FritzCast podcast and somebody goes, wow, that guy's an idiot. Why do you listen to him? And you say he's my friend and I don't agree with everything he says, but I think it's important what he's doing. Just do it. Guys, follow me on Twitter at FritzQS, F-R-I-T-Z-Q-S. Facebook.com slash the FritzCast. YouTube, search FritzCast. Also check out my initial thoughts on YouTube from the Colin Kaepernick Nike situation. Linked in the description for ease. And relevancy. Uh, where, 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 where I leave off on? Oh, if you need to contact me, fritzcastpodcast at gmail.com, fritzcast.wordpress.com for the blogging, minds.com, search fritzcast, and uh, I, think, I think that's everything. Guys, I love you, and I'll see you next week. The solution is to restore a proper constitutional order with a balance of powers. We need schoolhouse rock back. We need a Congress that writes laws and then stands before the people and suffers the consequences and gets to go back to our own Mount Vernon if that's what the electors decide. We need an executive branch that has a humble view of its job as enforcing the law, not trying to write laws in the Congress's absence. And we need a, a judiciary that tries to apply written laws to facts and cases that are actually before it. This is the elegant and the fair process that the founders created. It's the process where the people who are elected, two and six years in this institution, four years in the executive branch, can be fired because the justices and the judges, the men and women who serve America's people by wearing black robes, they're insulated from politics. This is why we talk about an independent judiciary. This is why they wear robes. This is why we shouldn't talk about Republican and Democratic judges and justices. This is why we say justice is blind. This is why we give judges lifetime tenure. And this is why this is the last job interview Brett Kavanaugh will ever have. Because he's going to a job where he's not supposed to be a super legislator. So the question before us today is not what does Brett Kavanaugh think 11 years ago on some policy matter. The question before us is whether or not he has the temperament and the character to take his policy views and his political preferences and put them in a box marked irrelevant and set it aside every morning when he puts on the black robe. The question is, does he have the character and temperament to do that? If you don't think he does, vote no. But if you think he does, stop the charades. 
Because at the end of the day, I think all of us know that Brett Kavanaugh understands his job isn't to rewrite laws as he wishes they were. He understands that he's not being interviewed to be a super legislator. He understands that his job isn't to seek popularity. His job is to be fair and dispassionate. It is not to exercise empathy. It is to follow written laws. Contrary to the onion-like smears that we hear outside, Judge Kavanaugh doesn't hate women and children. Judge Kavanaugh doesn't lust after dirty water and stinky air. No, looking at his record, it seems to me that what he actually dislikes are legislators that are too lazy and too risk-averse to do our actual jobs.